I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place, so make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Uh, welcome, welcome in this new episode. Um, Tom, Eve, I'm very happy to have you on this new episode. Can you maybe introduce yourself in a few sentences? You bet. Tom Ives, born and raised in Texas, University of Texas, Austin for undergrad, Texas A&M University for all my graduate work. Love being a geek, love doing predictive multi-physics modeling work to help speed up prototyping and Uh, learned data science in grad school before it was even called data science. Love using that too. Always so much to learn and love being in a field that's expanding quickly and requires you to keep learning constantly. That's awesome. Um, I was really looking forward to our podcast. Uh, in our first call, we talked about, uh, about many things that I feel are very interesting with where people are getting into data science today, or even like when people are already into data science, like how do they grow into their career? How do they, um, how do they improve? So I, I feel like those are kind of the things I want to talk with you, um, with uh, more subjects, of course. Uh, but first of all, maybe you could give us a little retrospective of uh, your career and what you have been doing um, during your career. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Um, when I graduated undergrad, I had the privilege to go work with my nation's naval nuclear program. Now, I went through that program as a civilian with the naval ensigns and then went through all the same training that officers do. But when they would go out to sea, I would stay back and help train new naval personnel coming through the program. And I did that for almost four years was supposed to go help design the Seawolf fast attack submarine, but the manager that was controlling the people like me that had gotten this special training, he didn't want to let go of me. So I said, fine, I'll go to graduate school. And for a couple of years, I managed the research reactor at Texas A&M while I started grad school. Loved graduate school. I could have stayed there forever doing research. I did my master's in robotics and my PhD on design and modeling of hybrid electric vehicle power plants like the Prius and really loved that research. Then went and worked in industry uh, to this date. Um, I've worked for about five different companies since grad school and I'm with my favorite company ever, Echo Global Logistics. There's an endless supply of very needed projects to be done to help that industry. And I'm glad to be at a company with very smart leadership in this field. Awesome. Thanks for the retrospective. And so if you were to kind of explain a little bit further what you're doing today and what you're trying to achieve, whether it's with your work or um, with the communities that you're building, um, How would you de describe this? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me start with the, the second question you asked. So I was starting to do more and more data-related projects in industry, but I didn't have a data science role title. I'm a pretty general, broad-range predictive model, either with multi-physics or with data. And It wasn't until I got my first role title as lead data scientist that I had a lot of people on LinkedIn reaching out to me for help. And it, well, I like to help people. I like to mentor people. Um, I like the saying, be the mentor you wished you had had when you were young. And I really try to live that. And there was a young man in Tunisia who reached out to me for help and I tried the best I could to get him an internship at my company, but also tell him where else to go. And, and this wasn't, I wasn't at Echo at the time. And 
after working with him for a while, he said, sir, you're the only one that helps me. And I went, wow, I didn't even try very hard. And this guy is so appreciative. I wonder if I could just help more people. So I just help people for the satisfaction of it. it was, and usually it was very high level. And before long, my followers were increasing on LinkedIn because these people would write really nice posts about my help. And then I had to decide, okay, how am I going to help this new volume of requests for mentorship and help? Do I just cut back or do I find more creative ways to help more people? Well, I signed up for the latter. And I noticed a lot of the questions were the same. Occasionally, an, a new type of question would come up, but most of the time, more than 80% of the time, the questions are the same ones I've gotten before. So I started writing very well-crafted answers and putting them in text files and naming them specific things. And then I would just copy and paste those messages but they were still very heartfelt. They were very well thought out and people really appreciated them. And I started listening to the pulse of the needs on LinkedIn and wrote very careful blog posts addressing those things, both technical, in other words, uh, math and coding from scratch, but also career advice, like how to have the right mentality towards your work, towards interviews, towards getting a role, et cetera. And that just populated more followers. And now, just recently, I crossed 60,000 followers. I built a, also a community with the help of others called Integrated Machine Learning and AI. We have a big uh, Slack channel. And now other people are helping me help the people that come into our Slack and ask questions. But I'd say more recently, people really enjoy me just sharing my learning. I will write very careful notes in notebook files, Iron Python notebook files, and then convert those to HTML and PDF and share those. Now, with regard to, oh, and people really show a lot of appreciation for those. They can usually be found in my Dad's Hub repo, but I also have a lot of fun repos on GitHub. I like DAGS Hub because they focus on machine learning and AI projects, and they're, but they're very much like GitHub. Now to your first question, I'd say my latest job is about the coolest job a senior data scientist could hope to have. I work on, directly under a vice president at Echo. We're already good friends. And then we both work under an executive vice president whom my manager and I, we, he's the best person we've ever worked for, either one of us. We're both sold on him. And he's a, he's a very good, he understands analytics and is very good at understanding what we're sharing with him and communicating it to others. So we feel perfectly supported. And I have great teammates, very humble, love to work together when necessary. Right now, I'm working on an AI system to handle the huge volume of emails that we get. So at Echo, the entire community at Echo gets 1.2 million emails per day. Of those, we need to pull out the 30,000 that are quotes and try to automate the way we deal with helping the ops team answer the needs in those quotes and it's a very challenging project i've done some other projects to help us with ml ops and some advanced analytics but that's mostly what i'm working on now and i love it i don't call it i want to point this out i don't no longer like the term natural language processing because in the fields where i've applied language processing it's not natural it's technical and you have to look at it differently. And even when I can use machine learning, 
I have to take an existing machine learning algorithm, let's say GLOVE, and train it from scratch on our corpus because the way most of those GLOVE models have been trained are on literature, not on technical emails and tech, you know, technical documents. And when I studied the literature, I found a lot of other people coming to the same conclusion. Oh, we're in a medical field. We can't use a pre-trained glove. We have to train our own. And learning how to train one of those more advanced language processing models, that was a, that was a good thing to learn to do. Hmm. I have so many questions like yeah, from the start. Okay. I have so many questions. Um, I have the questions more regarding like uh, everyone that is reaching out to you that are trying to to improve on their career um, as a data scientist. The next step, how should what should I learn? Which tool should I learn? Uh, in which language should I should I code? The typical question. I feel like. Uh, the right answer is uh, there is no good code, like good uh, good uh, programmation language. Um, but I also want to ask you about um, this training, these models uh, training. So you referred as uh, we're not talking about NLP, but uh, LP instead, because yes. you don't like the word uh, natural. Um, I feel like uh, I'm going to ask you first about um, this uh, these NLP models and, and what you've learned from it. And maybe after I would like to come back on the, on the data science past mentoring and giving advice. Um, but I felt very curious regarding uh, what I could learn from uh, your experience. So I feel like you mentioned something very important, which is you can get pre-trained models uh, in, in NLP. Uh, how do you want me to call it then? Because now I feel awkward oh, using NLP. Just, no, no, it's no. And don't worry if you call it NLP, <laughs> I'll go with it. I actually call it technical language processing. Right now I'm doing email language processing, but I just call it language processing now just to be a little distinctive from what okay. a lot of people talk about in the online literature. But let me, okay. I, let me share some things I think would wet would satisfy your appetite on this topic. Yeah, please. And, and this allows me to give advice to those listening that are newer in career. And this is about the best technical learning and growth advice I can give everyone that would be listening. Focus on concepts. What really helped me uh, in undergrad in the Naval Nuclear Program in grad school is I developed, both by being encouraged, but also seeing the power of it, understanding concepts very deeply. So if I'm studying differential equations of a physical system, I'm starting to realize these are talking about energy flows between energy storage elements and dis energy dissipation elements, energy sources and energy sinks. Once I got that concept down and understood how the math was helping to quantify those things, it was a game changer. Same thing with the data modeling area. Understanding the importance of clean data, the importance of why do we really need to scale? For example, and I'll go on ahead and go into this one. I can with today's computers, I don't need to scale to get ac ac excuse me, <laughs> accurate predictions, but if I want to know the relative importance of features through the coefficients of a model, I absolutely have to scale. But when I do that, the relative importance of those features in the model is much better information to your business and organizational counterparts in the leadership than the actual predictions, because the predictions are just reactive most of the time. But the Pareto of feature importance is proactive, because now you can tell them which elements of the process are more important or less important relative to other ones. So that would be an example of the depth of the concepts Related to this, why would boy? 
I forgot what I was going to say there, but let's go on. Another example would be this, uh, concept-wise. I needed a tool that would say, I've got this group of documents, I've tokenized them, meaning all the words and numbers, the important ones that are in the document. I wrote a specialized custom tokenizer to turn, oh, every time you see this word, it's this number. Every time you see this word, it's this number. Mm -hmm. Understanding that we just went into a hyper-dimensional space. Every one of those tokens is a new dimension. How many times those tokens appear is the magnitude in that direction. With that, understanding and knowing the map can handle more than three dimensions, I don't have to have a machine that needs to be trained. I can just use a machine that tells me the answer. So what answer was I looking for? I've got all this, these hundreds of thousands of documents tokenized into this giant matrix of vectors put together. Now I've got a new document coming in and I need to classify it or find which document it's closest to. Well, I can just use linear algebra now. And it's that conceptual knowledge that gets you there. You're just thinking, hey, I just need to find the closest match. What's that sound like? Cosine similarity. But how did I get there? Just because I do ongoing education for myself, and one of my favorite gurus online is the lazy programmer. And he's very good at reminding people in every one of his courses, remember, all machine learning problems are math problems. We got to turn those numbers, excuse me, those words into numbers. You do that in the most basic form with ordinal encoding or one-hot encoding, but we can do this just like transformers do in more clever ways to make each word or even each base word into a special token. And that just having that deeper conceptual knowledge has gotten me out of holes multiple times. Hmm. But it takes time to develop. You have to be patient and gentle with yourself and persistent to gain that conceptual knowledge. Exactly, because because today I would assume that if I were to start an NLP project, uh, I would directly look for like the latest transformer or the pre-trained model. But a lot of the time, this pre-trained model, as you mentioned, like for example, uh, if I use um, a trained model that have been trained on literature and I want to use it on tweets or on the mails, technical mails, as you mentioned, uh, that won't work at all. And so, um, so this is for, for the, the first part, but then like understanding the, understanding the concepts, uh, I would not directly go for a transformer model, but I would try to understand what do I really want from those. And based on that, if I want to do a clustering problem, so you mentioned that uh, you were able to, to tokenize these documents to be able to do just, um, just a classification uh, with a matrix. And, and I feel like that's very, important like to remind the key concepts because most of the time when we learn machine learning and ai um we kind of see at this like depending on the background uh, i feel like physics physicist background uh, are always a bit more into into the technical like the more the formulas and, and the mathematics behind um but it's true that a lot of the time we get caught up into the process of oh this is a new last transformer or this is but understanding the key concepts, um, if I uh, learn from what you just shared, um, is what is going to help you grow through your career because you're not only applying model, but you have these 360 visions of, okay, I'm in this environment, in this ecosystem, so this data is important. I need to take care that this data is standardized, that I can do this and that, that I can understand the feature importance and sometimes for business, it's it all it's all there is um so okay so great uh, great advice uh maybe to just push a little bit further you were talking about um doing a, an nlp model that manage more than 1.2 millions a day um and you talk about uh, mlops just before can you give us some insights regarding 
building models that need to ingest so much data and how how do you have it on production and and how do you relate it to the mlops part like what tools how to scale maybe if you can give us some insights regarding this you bet um let me talk about the two ends of the spectrum hmm. even though we get huge amounts of data every day at echo we really don't have big data so if i and and really the data that we have we have a problem with the data being very dirty so we have a lot of work to do to clean our data hmm. so the new models that we're building i'm trying to encourage the whole team make sure you create big clean data from the machines we're putting out there but until we get there there's a lot of times you can't use something like deep learning or a transformer either because the transformer a lot of time even though people are being generous and sharing their transformer models and you can apply transfer learning to many of them to find the exact transformer model you need can still be very difficult because a lot of the transform models are research oriented not real world application oriented mm -hmm. so what do you do well what do you do anytime you can't do deep learning because you don't have enough data or enough clean data you do old world methods and even though they're not cool and sexy they're very effective. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just got a system message. I'm hoping it won't affect us. I don't think it will. No problem. So in that spirit, for example, a lot of AI projects can be just, can be done with just good match the words you're looking for, for the characteristics, especially in the language processing realm, and do they exist in a lookup table? And mm. the other thing I encourage people to do, if you're an R person, get really good at R. If you're a Python person like me, get really good at Python. And it's always fun to invent your own module, but I really try hard to not create my own module unless I need to. And there have been times where I really needed to. Um, so in light of all that, you have to look at your current data assets and make the best decision you possibly can. And that's where that conceptual knowledge comes handy. You've got to keep developing the conceptual knowledge and that will make you feel less overwhelmed by the explosion of new techniques because what happens over time you've crossed the path of enough cool math techniques and someone is marketing something with new terminology but you little look a little bit into it oh that's just this for example engineers experienced engineers experienced academics will come to me how do i get into data science well, what have you already been doing I said, you just need to learn the new terminology. When they say machine learning, that's empirical modeling. Oh, is that all it is? And here are some techniques you might not have used because you've probably been doing a lot of continuous work, right? Yes. Well, we do classification work, but here's all there is to that. And then they have to maybe learn a few things here and there. But because of their math backgrounds, it's easier for them to come up to speed because they've already gotten into the habit, whether they could tell you they've done it or not, mm. of focus, trying to capture the concepts and how the math quantifies showing you those concepts in reality. And it's been quite satisfying to see some of the fellow PhDs that have come to me and said, Oh no, what do I do? I'm having trouble getting, just stay persistent, do these things, learn the terminology, you'll get there. And by the way, Thomas, I can bomb a technical interview with the best of them. Anyone, in my opinion, can give anyone a technical interview that they'll bomb. 
when a company's doing that, you may not even want to go work for them anyway. Just use your interviews as a learning experience. But I think the real value is to find people that love to learn and have learned to learn quickly and relate what they're learning to generalized concepts that they can apply over and over again and relate to other generalized mm. concepts. Mm. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the answer. So it got me thinking as what we were mentioning before, like, I think too, so you mentioned some PhD people uh, that comes up to you. So they've already have a strong academical background and, and it's not hard for them to adapt the concepts they've learned that might be very theor like theoretical and formulas to, to what, what's data science and machine learning and how is it implemented in the world. Um, regarding that, I think I would like to ask you about uh, two things. Uh, the first one is like two kind of two, two kind of profiles. Um, if someone today wants to start data science, would you have some tips for this person? And maybe then we, we, we can do for someone that is already into the field and, and want to to learn more where 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 to put this cup. But maybe first, how would you what would you recommend to someone that starts data science uh, to go on his journey of learning data science? Pretty much what I've been saying, <laughs> but there's some, other, there's some other things too. Don't expect someone else to tell you what to learn. Go study what you should learn. Think, I want to work in this field. So you start studying those things. And your first learning plan won't be that great. That's okay. Keep refining it frequently. And there's a way, there's how much, how many different things, you know, but also there's not just how many different things, you know, how deep do you know each one? And you have to make decisions about how deep, deeply you need to know each topic in order to land the kind of job you want. Now, the next thing I would say to that, as you're continuing to develop this learning plan and refine it and prove it over time, Don't be afraid to say, for example, you're looking for a data science role, but you get an offer for a data engineering role. Well, take it. Becoming a data engineer for a while and becoming a good one will help you be a better data scientist. And you can actually apply a lot of data science principles and needs in that role, and then you will grow. But then you have to then adapt your plan to study things that will help you do better in your current role and then take any extra time to learn the things you want to learn for the role you want to get next. So that's why you have to become master of your own learning plan, not expect others to tell you how to do it. And then the final thing, Thomas, is perhaps the most important. Be consistent and patient. Now, this doesn't mean work yourself to death. Quite the contrary, means have the discipline to take a mental break, an emotional break when you need to, reassure yourself, hey, I'm always learning and growing, I'm not stuck here, and then get back at it. I'd say the hardest thing to do is after you've taken a break and you feel refreshed, understand that if you keep going, it's going to get easier and more fun. So don't excuse yourself from continuous learning and growing. Otherwise, it's just going to hurt your career growth. Hmm. Thanks, thanks. And do you feel some some of um, some of the people that I know and, and that inspire me? Uh, many of them tell me tells me um, I only go four hour of full focus a day, and then the rest of the day it's like meetings and mails and but like really not more than four hours a day to be like very focused on building something. How do you feel regarding that? Do you feel like you could more than four hours a day, like very focused? Like what's your point of view? If I could, and oftentimes I can, I get to go as long as eight hours a day. Um, I'm lucky to have very few meetings. Um, and they're 
are times where I get to take a lot of extra learning time for my job on things that are very exciting and cool. But then there are times where I have to do some grunt work. For example, when I joined my team, we didn't really have a good model delivery method unless it was a big model thing that we went through this certain group with. So I rolled up my sleeves and learned something I'd been wanting to learn and discovered some amazing new tools by which to do ML ops. And so I finally got good at using Jenkins on my own without some system admin helping me. I, you know, decided it's time to stop only using other people's Docker images and develop my own Docker images. And that's not too hard because there's a lot of good courses out there on Docker that help you both with the concepts and the nitty gritty. And so now, it's great because now I'm showing my team how to do CICD with the most economical approach. Also, my team, we didn't have a Linux server to release these models. We had a Windows server. And there's certain things that are just more difficult and at times impossible to do from a Windows server that you can do from a Linux server for Python and R and stuff. And so mm -hmm. just been working with my IT department to give us a Linux server. It's built. Now we're trying to make sure we've got the access to it proper. And then a lot of my teammates um, just don't know Linux. And so I've been offering to teach them Linux, but they've been thinking, oh, when do I do that? And I finally just offered, based on a recent face-to-face -face talk we had, why don't around Christmas we just set aside an hour or two and I'll show you how to install a virtual machine and get all that going with Linux Mint. And they were like, yes, yes. In other words, they just needed some set-aside time, and my manager was really happy I was offering to do this because he's convinced, too, once we're using Linux for such things, we'll be able to go faster. And I'm not trying to bash Windows. It's just that Docker for Windows still has a long ways to go to be as good as mm. Docker for Linux or Mac. Mm. Mm. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, so you're always kind of take this, uh, also this role of like, you try to share kind of this altruism of like sharing your knowledge with your team, your coworkers, people that reach out to, to LinkedIn. I found this very inspiring because, um, because it shows that if one is like kind of motivated in one, in one matter, just reaching out to people on LinkedIn and, and this person can find great, uh, great value from, for example, writing, writing to you. So I feel like that's very, uh, that's very inspireful. I appreciate, uh, I, I appreciate you calling it altruistic, but there's a benefit that makes it highly self-interesting too. Let me give you what it is. People see me as always giving free information away, but what they don't see is the vast number of people that are willing to drop everything and teach me something new because I've been that way. So when I really need help, I know so many experts and they'll give me their time because they've seen me give so much time. And usually I don't need their help for very long. It, it can even be just a quick chat. I am having trouble knowing a good way to learn this or I'm hitting this specific problem do you know how I can get around it? Or do you know someone I can ask? And it seems like within half a day, I'm, I'm past that problem and on to the next one. And, but I encourage everyone, look, all I'm doing is asking you to pay it forward. Because in the long run, if I get the whole community to be more this way, we will all grow faster and better. Mm. by doing it more together. Mm. So it is altruism, but I've always felt altruism has much bigger benefits than the contrary mm. paradigms. Mm. Yeah, but, but you're still willing to give 
without like the being sure that this person is going to help you back in the future and, and that also is uh, is one thing but i totally i totally get your point um and and i really like and i think it's a great uh, great tips also to people trying to to grow today like you will grow more faster if you if you share what you're learning uh, than if you try to do your thing on your own yes um well thanks for sharing zach i wanted to to come back maybe you talk about jenkins and how you mastered it uh can you give not not mastered it but learned it well enough to know how to develop more complicated jenkins files now Mm. so can you can you remind to everyone uh, what jenkins is because i think it's a great great tool for mlops you bet so um people could validly ask, why do I need to learn Jenkins? Because if I'm really good at Docker and know how to mount something on my system that is hosting Docker engine and my Docker containers, if I know how to mount a drive on that host system to my Docker container, and I just automatically update a file in there, then I, I should be fine. Well, let me give you one example of where Jenkins comes to the rescue. Let's say you're just updating files in a repo, but you would like a file that was updated in a repository to be automatically moved to or to be updated when that repository is updated because the Docker model needs it. And yes, it's still there in the host system, but now that can happen without you having to go in there and copy and paste that file into the directory that the Docker container is referencing on the host system. That is now automated. And there's many more things like that, that for example, Docker or even WatchGuide, things like that can't do for you that Jenkins can. So think of Jenkins as your programmable system administrator. And it can do a lot of things. And the thing that it took me a while to see is there are sometimes commands that you need to do in Jenkins where you need to use the, I forget the exact name for it, but it's like the command developer. You can mm. you can drop uh, and, and choose from different lists and build up a statement that, Mm. oh, I I wouldn't have known how to do that. It's much like a query designer for SQL, but -hmm. it's a command developer for Jenkins. And once I got to that point, I felt like, okay, I can probably, I can probably get through any project now with Jenkins. I may not be as fast as someone that's, you know, used it a lot, but at least Mm. to help my team out, when we can't get the help of other teams that are more skilled with Jenkins, we can do it and get our models delivered. Mm. Okay, thanks, thanks. And uh, and regarding Docker, you, you mentioned Docker. Um, I was I was um, a few a few a few weeks ago. We were working on a, on a web application, and uh, I got these tips um, from someone that uh, I really like to ask so for some guidance. Um, and this person told me that you really need to get around uh, uh, Kubernetes and and Docker's and like manage containers. And when you start building a project, if you don't build on containers, if you want to go from AWS to uh, to Azure, or if you want to move everything around, uh, it's more complicated. Uh, can you give us more insights, maybe of uh, of Docker? You bet. Um, Kubernetes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Let's say that I'm serving up a model. I'm not just serving it internally to my company anymore. Now maybe we've marketed it and we're, we're sending it out to multiple people. Well, I need a way to scale that demand for the call to that API or that web application. Kubernetes is your tool. Now we're at a point where we chose, yeah, we want to learn Kubernetes, but we just don't need to learn it now. It's not as big a deal yet. So 
I will learn that for the team and share it with them when we get to that point. Um, but to your other question, going from one platform to another, um, I don't, I try not to use Azure if I don't have to. I'm not trying to badmouth Azure because I think from what I've seen and understood through talking to others, it's probably the most secure. Now that does not mean you can't build the same security with AWS, but what I'm saying is Azure's going to ensure you're using that level of security from the start, whereas with AWS, you're going to need to know that you need to add that additional security for your clients. What you'll find, in my limited experience at least, is that government, the Department of Defense, they prefer people to use Azure, whereas businesses and startups, they probably prefer to use AWS. Now, just from a single user, uh, low cost approach, I prefer Google Cloud or DigitalOcean. Hmm. But according to my cloud expert friends, those two wouldn't be a good, as good as AWS at creating a virtual cloud platform for your company. And um, my son-in-law, who's one of those cloud experts, we decided we're going to try to figure out, well, could we do that level of virtualization in the cloud with DigitalOcean or Google Cloud Platform? We're just not sure yet. He felt that Google Cloud Platform was probably trying to get there. And I have such a love for DigitalOcean that I thought it must already be there. Maybe he just hadn't been exposed to it yet. So we're constantly learning. But even then, Thomas, I would say when you're learning Docker, Jenkins, Kubernetes, virtual cloud platforms, you still want to master the overriding, all-encompassing concepts for each of those tools. Why do they exist? Why are they important? And then you get down into the sub-concepts that are part of that bigger concept so that you appreciate what you're doing and why. That way it's easier to remember all those things too. And I don't try to remember the fine details. I try to keep real good notes and procedures on how to make that stuff happen. And a lot of those notes and procedures become LinkedIn posts. I'm just sharing things that I've been learning to be helpful. Hmm. Thanks. I recommend everyone to go follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, oh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you um, for that. So you mentioned something quite interesting and uh, something that uh, I face myself. So when you do, like when one does a, a class, uh, like a course, an online course of uh, an, a virtual matching, like for, for a cloud platform, for example, AWS or, or Azure, and one wants to learn all Azure services, uh, I feel for myself that I will learn way faster if I try to build something for real and figure out what tools do I need to use and understand their concepts while I'm applying them than watching the theory, even though someone is doing examples, where I find myself that I kind of forget on the go. But if I build the thing, then yes. I will remember that, for example, the Lambda of AWS, what does it do? And like how to how to put security and and so there like I, i'm going to look on the internet to see like the web applications that i want to do i'm going to look at data architectures and like try to understand the pieces and based from what i want to do i try to find how to do it in the real world how would you recommend someone to learn maybe in general not necessarily of this like to approach i know in the first call you mentioned like uh, coding from scratch a theory uh, it might be or not be related, but how would you approach learning things? Actually, it, it is related to that. Let me give you an, let's go into that one you mentioned, and then we'll go to another example. And then this final area we've been talking about. So what Thomas is mentioning, we had a pre-call and it was great. And I was telling him how 
over the course of my career, I've really enjoyed understanding how do I derive the math from scratch? And once I see that, how do I code it from scratch without using modules or libraries? And that that level of work helps me to understand the concepts thoroughly. And that can be in the physics or the data realm, by the way. Let me give an example of this at a higher abstract level outside of just math to code. It's learning SQL. When I started learning SQL on my own, a lot of the courses just focused on how to do queries. No, 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 no. I need to know how to install the database engine on my operating system. I want to know how to create a new database, tables in that database, and being able to even delete those tables, and then how to do not just the queries, but how to build the tables over time with more data, and how to correct the data. Well, that stayed with me so much better for so long than just learning to do the queries. And I could hear someone arguing, Tom, most people are just going to do queries. That's true. But I don't want to be most people. I want to understand the concepts and how that query piece fits into the overall bigger scheme. I want to be able to politely challenge the database, database administrator. We need a data entry management system so we don't keep getting this dirty data. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, you need to learn to do that because that's part of your job and our data is our most important asset. So please. <laughs> and now a final example with the area we've been talking about. Insist, and it, this is where you need to be most patient and gentle with yourself. I'm going to build a Docker container on my local machine. Once it's working and I understand the concepts of how to serve an API through that, how to serve a web page, how to just run something in there, and I played with it different ways. When a question occurs to me, I write it down and I start to answer it myself with Google searches and looking at examples, of course. But I'm building up a set of notes so that if I get amnesia, and someone tells me where all my note system was, I can go back through the same process. Now that I've done that, I need to commission a virtual machine on one of the cloud services that exist and launch that Docker container from within that virtual machine in the cloud and make sure people can call that API, can call that web app. That's, that's a great place to be. Now, apply Kubernetes to it, or probably before that, apply Jenkins to that and make sure the Jenkins needs you have, you weren't just fabricating them, it's something that would really help the process and you built it, put it in place, great. Now apply Kubernetes to it. Now you have all these careful notes of how to do all of that. You're employable as an ML ops engineer now. Oh yeah, that rocks. <laughs> It just gives a secret solution to be an MLOps engineer. Uh, and it's not that hard to start little on the local and put it on the cloud and add Kubernetes to scale and good to go, I think, if I resume correctly what, what you mentioned. And if people are listening carefully to me and trusting me, and I hope they are, because these are yeah, hard yeah. learned lessons, they would say, oh, Tom is about to say it would take patience and consistency but plus one other thing which patience implies and that's time if it takes you two weeks to master this because you were just really going after it in the evenings that's great but if it takes you two to six months and you've taken really good notes and you understand everything that's great too don't judge yourself for how fast or slow you go, either way. I love a saying that comes out of the Middle East, North African community, it's this. We overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in a decade. This is a hard field. I wanna encourage people to have a patient and consistent attitude, be gentle with themselves about what they're learning. 
because if you learn carefully and you master the concepts, your learning will accelerate. And by being patient and consistent for decades, you will be shocked at what and who you can become. Thanks. That, that, that reminds me, I want to relate this to what you said before. Um, regarding like a data scientist that gets, uh, that gets a data engineer job, but he was looking for a data scientist job. And I feel like this is, to me, the, the best data scientist or the best machine learning engineer is the one that is able to understand the overall structure and every 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 part of it and then like push like most of his hours into data science of course if this person wants to be an expert into data science but but i feel like um the key is also to be able to have uh, the big picture in this file to understand all the concepts not just like my part but like what comes before what comes after how everything is related um so so i wanted to relate that to to to, to what you were in just saying right now i feel the same way and i want to, to to have your opinion i find myself a lot of the times like watching courses like video like data comp for example i use it a lot i really like uh, i really like their courses because in between the videos they give you exercises to code and i felt i feel like this is a great way to like remember a concept just code it one you've learned it code it but a lot of the time, for example, in Udemy, there are a lot of courses, for example, on Azure that we mentioned or on Docker. And there are a lot of hours. And I feel like sometimes I'm going to see myself just look through the videos and maybe take notes. But I don't feel like I'm keeping like five, like for some advanced, advanced courses, I don't feel like the video explanations are good enough for me, like just to retain the information. And so to 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 relate to what you were saying before and this is what i'm trying to do now i, I just like build software build um software as a service and i try to build an api that interacts with the front and i try to to add dockers and i try to add new things how do you see this framework of learning and what do you think about learnings of like from video courses i think video courses are awesome um you know, I should own more, but I only own about 350 Udemy courses. <laughs> Seriously. Um, wow. But when I was learning a very hard topic not too long ago, yes. I found that before Dennis Rothman's book came out, and by the way, this book right here is his second edition Transformers book. So I put okay. it there to help him. This is my friend's show, Lights on Data Show, George Ferrican. Now, he's not a data scientist. He's a data governance expert at mm. the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, um, mm. or University of Vancouver in British Columbia, whichever one. But um, you want to learn from multiple references. And when you feel like you're kind of dead, switch it up switch up your media go study just a lot of toy blog posts go look at some youtube videos go take a section that's hanging you up in one of those video courses and see if you can't derive the math and the code from scratch now i gotta tell you there's been times i've done this and i thought i should have gone faster at this but i would have worked even at a higher level of understanding, it would take me like two weeks of solid work to figure out the math and then at least another week or two to get the code right to implement that math. But once I saw it and I got everything cleaned up, I was so glad I'd done it. And so on those things you really want to learn well, it's good to kind of create maybe not that but a lot of learning experiments like well let me try this and see what happens now let me try this and see what happens and document that path you can always clean it up later but i would keep those original notes like okay i'm trying this i got this i think this might be the problem or this might be write all that down in a good iron python notebook by the way you are people you can use notebook files for r don't use the excuse on your computing either. 
you can do all of this in Google Colab with R or Python. Awesome. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks. Uh, we're kind of reaching uh, to, to an end for the episode. So I, I have three short questions for you, uh, if that's good with you. Absolutely. Um, so the first one is, uh, how have you been improving through your career and, and how do you improve today? So we cannot, during this episode, understand <clears throat> your method, your methodology, what you recommend to people. Um, how, how do you keep learning today? And, and because you've already said a lot on learning, do you have also some like, books that you're reading at the moment? About three years ago or more, I hit a philosophical crisis. And without describing all the details of the journey, I'm just going to go right to the conclusion. It dawned on me that human beings are almost completely blind and ignorant. And they're also injured in their souls and corrupt. And to further complicate this, that it's kind of a blessing in disguise, we're powerless. Now, obviously, if you admit to these realities, and I hope everyone that's listening would, we want to reduce our blindness and ignorance as much and as fast as possible. And we want to reduce our injury and our corruption as fast as possible. And there's one characteristic that will reduce those very quickly, the better you get at it, and one that will increase them to dangerous levels. The one that increases them to dangerous levels is arrogance. Trying to deny those states and just being arrogant and like, I, how can you people be such idiots? But the one that reduces them the fast and helps you learn and grow the most is humility. And I had to realize, you know what? There's a lot of crap here in my heart and my mind. I need to deal with that. And the more I learn to honestly admit to my problems and deal with those, the faster I was able to learn and grow. Some of that meant that I had to become more emotionally intelligent. Some of it meant I needed to be better at confronting people and saying, don't treat me that way anymore. That's not helping you or me. And being willing to take it to HR if they wouldn't doing that in personal relationships too, but also owning my own crap first, saying, you know what? In the past, I've been this way to you. I'm deeply sorry for that. I'm going to work to change it. But just recognizing too, what is holding me back in my own learning and growth in my career, in my physical health, in my emotional and spiritual health and dealing with those things, but you can't solve them all at once. You got to be patient and consistent and, and be glad for small improvements. So I, I try to every year, and there's been many times I just made crap up and believed it and realized you got to quit doing that. You know what? Get more serious about your physical training, about your diet, about your faith about the, you know, how much you care about other people. Get more serious about all those, but don't expect to become perfect overnight. Again, years, decades versus years. And I would say that bit is probably the most important right there. That, that will take, accepting that model of I need humility, well, let's think of it this way, Thomas. When we code, we don't just concentrate on the current strengths of our code, like Gallup Strength Finder tells us to do, which would be our current strengths in our personality and stuff. I think it also helps to debug ourselves. We have to debug our code. Even once it's working, Thomas, We there's times where we need to make it better, faster, manage memory better. Not always, but a lot of times we've got to get code just that good. Why not do that with ourselves too? But don't beat ourselves up. Just recognize I am who I am right now. I want to be better. I'm going to take small steps every day to be better in every way. And if you think about it, 
we can't just expect to be our best up here mentally for our careers if we're not dealing with everything else. Because just look at me here. I've got a head and I got a body supporting it. If I don't keep this body and the emotional side of it and the spiritual side of it healthy, well, this is going to suffer. So you got to take care of the whole. Thanks. Thanks for sharing all those insights. Um, uh, so, yeah, I feel like you've said you've said so many important things uh, relate to the to the like like take care of um, around you and inside you. Uh, I really enjoy your book that's called uh, Transurfing. It's about uh, quantum physicists. Oh, I, I I haven't authored such a book. Just so you know. Uh, no, you you haven't. No. Yeah, I, it's it's a. Uh, I think it's from um, um, what's his name? Uh, I, um. Uh, it's going to come back. Vladimir uh, Vladimir Vladim Zeland. Vadim Zeland. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name. And it, it really explains <clears> like how, like like the balance of things and. And I feel like we can do a lot of um, metaphor, whereas like in coding you need to debug. But yeah, I, I really get your point regarding like doing the real work. Like it's like the same like understanding the concept so that you will be way better in the practice. While understanding our concepts, or internal and external <clears throat> and the external concepts, what we can control, what we cannot control, and like try to to grow from from this from this point. I feel that's very uh, uh, inspiring too. Um, so thanks for, for sharing all those thoughts. You're welcome. Um, I have two last questions. The first one is where can people see you and follow you? If, uh, if you're still here in the episode and you want to learn more about Tom, how, how can they, they, learn, they learn more about you? If they start with me on LinkedIn, um, then they can reach out to me through a post or through connection requests. I think I'm getting close to the number of connections I'm allowed to have on LinkedIn. But mm. anyone can join our community, um, which I think is the best way to stay in touch with me. I look at the Slack messages to me far more than the LinkedIn messages to me. Uh, mm. I try to answer all the LinkedIn messages, and I think I have. But sometimes I get a little behind on answering all the messages. But really, start at LinkedIn. I'm on Substack as uh, Data Science with Tom. Again, integrated machine learning and AI is also on uh, LinkedIn and on Facebook and Slack. Integrated ML AI on Slack. But again, I, if they reach out to me uh, through LinkedIn, even in a post comment, I can get them hooked up to be on our integrated Slack community. And I've been delaying, we used to have weekly meetings. I've been putting off restarting those until I release something that will enable me to help even more people. So that's what I've been working toward and will be able to work a lot toward over the Christmas and New Year's uh, time period. And then what's your last question? And my last question. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, I will, uh, I will put all the links uh, that you will send me in the description so that everyone can access what you just mentioned. Uh, and my last question, um, do you have a message uh, now that we're at the end of the episode? You've shared a lot of message during this podcast, and I, I thank you a lot for your time and for, for all the sharing, sharing the knowledge you, you shared with us. Do you have a, a last word, a message to share to people? I really think the most important thing I remind data scientists about is that our field is hard. So be patient and gentle and with yourself and consistent. But as you do that, understand that if you learn to help others, you will grow probably even more than the people you're helping a lot of times. And there can be times where you could feel like I can't believe this person is asking me for this kind of help. I try to always answer kindly, understanding that I might have asked for help that way and just say, 
here's what you really need to do. And it may not always be what they want to hear, but just always try to have a heart of helping as many people as you can. And again, the way I handled the volume as it got bigger and bigger was those copy and paste messages. But um, there's a famous Catholic saying, do what you can. I, I'm going to mess this up, but I'm going to try. Um, do what you can. Then um, just keep, and I'm going to get the Tom version. Just keep finding ways to do more. And before long, you'll find that you've been doing the impossible. Like if you imagine your earlier self looking at what you're doing now, they would say, no way. Get there. But it's going to take some creativity. Thanks. Thanks so much, Tom, for coming on the episode. Um, I wish you to have a wonderful um, evening. And I will see everyone in another episode. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Really enjoyed our time. Congrats. You've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.